That was an um, <clears throat> incredible worship set. Uh, and I, I really have to say that it's such a joy and a privilege to be able to, to worship before I come up here and preach to such an incredible worship team and uh, a band worship team. They're just amazing. They're amazing. You know, sometimes you, you go, you, you can go to, you know, there's churches that are, you know, 30,000 people. And, and I've been there, um, heard their bands, heard their praise singers, uh, watched things on television. And honestly, um, most of the time I'm saying, our, our band's better than that. <laughs> our praise team's better than that. And it's the truth. I mean, it's incredible that our, that our church would have. And these guys that have just left us with us for such a long time. Um, they've been together for such a long time. I think that really does matter. We're going to continue our series this morning, Stand. Does it really matter what you believe? And I want to build on a theme that is critical to um, the defense of our faith. This is critical to the defense of our faith. People often say, well, the Bible, the Bible is, uh, is really good, but uh, it's, a nice, it's, it's a nice book. But the Bible was written by men and... Um, and that's about it. And it, it's filled with some good stories and maybe some practical advice, but that's where it ends. So the question we have this morning is, is the Bible just a nice book? This is important that we need to answer ourselves. Is the Bible a nice book or is it truly the word of God? Is it God's word? It matters. It matters to it matters to um to you, it should matter to you what you believe about the word of God, because it'll it'll depend. It, it will determine how you live your life and how you share your faith. I was this morning I was going to address two different topics. One would be Bible prophecy and the other was going to be the Bible, the Bible's scientific accuracy. But throughout the week, like many of you, I was losing my voice. I was at the Orphan Summit this week in Nashville and had the privilege of speaking there and, and, and being with the back-to-back staff and the self-sustaining enterprises staff. And, uh, and it was, I was hanging, it was hanging on and I thought, I, I better cut back on the sermon a little bit if I'm not sure I can make it through two services without losing my voice. So I cut it back a little bit. So what we're going to do this morning is focus on Bible prophecy and how that impacts our life and how that proves the reliability of the word of God. And I think if you have a pen, a piece of paper, I really think this is one of those sermons where you you'll want to take notes, whether you're, you know, in, in third grade or, you know, you're 103. This is one of those sermons that you want to take notes and you want to study the notes so that when you sit down with someone in your life, you can share this information with them because this is powerful information. This is this is one of those, you know, may we never lose our wonder. That song said, may we never lose our wonder, the fascination with God. This stuff is is fascinating. This 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 is like one of those things where it, it recalls the wonder of what it was like to give your life to Christ for the very first time. And that passion that you had, this helps reignite that passion. Now, I want to be absolutely clear that. Um, this is not a comprehensive study of Bible prophecy, okay? Um, and I'm talking about predictions here. But this is not a comprehensive study of even that. I'm only going to scratch the surface of what we have in the Word of God. So if what I say this morning really gets you to start thinking and going, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing, I want you to understand I just gave you the tip of the iceberg this morning. 
So what I would like you to do is make sure that you study this on your own, that you take the time to study it on your own, or maybe that you get together with your life group and together your life group studies it and goes through all these different prophecies because it's just fun. I just flat out fun. I, I love to do it. See, the Bible records predictions and events that could not be known or predicted by luck or chance or common sense. Couldn't, couldn't happen. There are predictions in the Bible. This is not like the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, or Nostradamus, or whatever else. So these, these obscure, you know what I mean, mundane kind of predictions that, oh, look, it starts with an M. That starts with an M, too. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. You'll understand as I go, uh, I go through this. What I find interesting is that for years, critics have used the predictions of Scripture to argue against the reliability of the Bible. They, uh, throughout history, early history, they would say, well, you know, they would, they would read the word and they would say, see, this hasn't come true yet. And see, this hasn't come true yet. But all along the way, just to build your confidence, all along the way, as time went on, these, all of these predictions, all these prophecies all came true. They've all come true. And it gives us, it gives us confidence in what the Bible says about the future as well, that those will come true as well. You know, um, before, before the prophecy was fulfilled, before these prophecies were fulfilled, I find it interesting, and here's how some critics think about it, or here's, here's how they argue. They say that what happened was that people came along later on and wrote about it after the, after the event took place. That, um, that um, the Bible writers edited the scriptures um, after the event had taken place, and once they knew what was happening, then they wrote that into the Old or the New Testament. And I got to tell you something, that is the most faith-building argument that I could ever, ever hear. Because number one, it is so easy to disprove. It is so simple to disprove. And number two, what it says is, the Bible is so amazing, it is so accurate, that these people will do almost anything to try, to try to discredit what is written in the Word of God. Let me, let me say that another way. What we have when it comes to prophecy in the Bible is so dynamic. It is so overwhelming. It is so specific. It is so accurate. It is so reliable that those who choose not to believe in God look at it and say, that could not have been written before the event took place. Why? Because it is absolutely, positively, not some generalized prophecy. It is extremely specific. I mean, when I, as we go through this, if you don't walk out of here going, wow, okay, that, even if you don't believe in God, if you don't walk out of here going, wow, that is really at least interesting. Um, and the Bible is the luckiest book in the history of the universe, then you're just not listening. You're just not listening. You see... The many predictions about, for example, Jesus Christ, uh, his birth and his life and then his death cannot be disputed. They're indisputable. They were predicted in some cases hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand years before they actually occurred. And that is that is that is proven by the findings of the Dead Sea Scrolls of Isaiah and other prophetic books, 
Also, also uh, uh, we, we see the, the, uh, the Septuagint translation. All of those, okay, we have those as our evidence, and all of those are earlier than 100 B.C. This isn't, this isn't something that Jeff Greer just made up, or this isn't something that, that, we, that we found in 2015. This is historical fact. We know when these, when these documents were written. They're easily, this is easily defensible. It was written here. It was written, it was written about this event. Then the event took place. If you would like to conjure up lies in your own mind, you can say that they wrote it after the event took place. But there's no evidence, there's no historical evidence to back that up. Only that you say to yourself that could not have taken place beforehand because it's so accurate. They must have done it and then spend your whole life trying to conjure up ways that they wrote it afterward. That's really the argument. Okay, so what that does is build my faith. It builds my faith because I know that if you're spending so much time trying to disprove something, then it must be pretty amazing that you'd spend your whole life trying to disprove it. So, okay, let's look at a few of the Old Testament prophecies. I want to start with Tyre, all right? And I want to give you a little background. I didn't do this in the first service, and someone said, give a little background on Tyre, and that will help with the prophecies. All right, so Tyre, you have the king of Tyre. Israel and Tyre were, were kind of, they were like allies. Israel goes into a difficult time. Tyre basically turns on Israel, gloats that they're not doing very well. Tyre takes advantage of Israel. Um, they're kind of an arrogant group, if you will. And they take advantage of Israel, and they start taking Children from Israel, they start taking children from the people of God and selling them into slavery. So they're selling, they're selling God's children, children, children into slavery. God doesn't find that too amusing at all. All right. They're taking advantage when Israel's not doing well. They're taking advantage of Israel. God doesn't take too well to that. And so God lays out specific Ezekiel lays out specific things that are going to happen to Tyre. And so it's all laid out and I'll read them to you in a second. But first, let me give you a little history. Um, God said, I'm going to and I'll read them, but I'm going to make sure that I respond to your behavior of sending, selling these children to slavery. And he says, your city is going to be destroyed. And it's very specific. But here's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar comes along and basically destroys uh, Tyre over a 13 year period. Nebuchadnezzar come King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and just, you know, lays waste. And if that wasn't enough, Alexander the Great later on comes and as he's going through and, and, and suddenly he takes over and instead of going past Tyre, he stops there um, and, and he lays siege on the city. Well, they all, all the, all the people of the city run out to this island that they have. It's about a mile and a half offshore and they think it's impenetrable. Once they get out there, they get, they go back to their arrogance and they basically start taunting Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great is not a person you want to taunt because I think he's a, um, a madman, if you will, but he's a genius. He's a, he's a brutal genius. When it comes to, and this has got a little feedback. When it, comes to, when it comes to Alexander the Great, he is a brutal, brutal genius. And so they are out there on the island thinking we're nice and safe, and they're you know, doing some things to taunt Alexander and his army. So uh, Alexander takes the city that is on the shoreline and he, t- he takes the timbers and he takes the, and the stones and he takes the city apart and he basically makes a bridge from the mainland to that island. And can you imagine being tired on that island and going, oh, we didn't think, we didn't think about that. We shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't have taunted him. And he makes his way out there and basically takes the city, takes the city. 
So yet Nebuchadnezzar first, okay? And Nebuchadnezzar is the first one, and they basically destroy the city. And here are the prophecies before that all took place that I just described to you. And Ezekiel 26 and verse 3 says, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against you, Tyre, and I will bring many nations against you like like the sea casting up its waves. It talks about its walls. It talks about many nations. The prophecy of many nations will come against you. All right, that's number one. Number two, its walls will be destroyed and its towers broken down. It says in Ezekiel 26, 4, they will destroy the walls of Tyre and pull down her towers. I will scrape away her rubble and make her a bare rock. Remember what Alexander Nebuchadnezzar did. All right. Its stones, its timbers, its debris would be thrown into the water. Ezekiel 26 and verse 12, they will plunder your wealth and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and demolish your fine houses and throw your stones, your timber and your rubble into the sea. Similar prophecies were fulfilled concerning Sidon and also in Babylon. I won't get into that again. I you you, just for the fun of it, you have to go back and read the whole history of what happened here. And then go read Ezekiel and God's response to what they did and how God was responding. I just read you part of it. You need to read the whole thing and read exactly what happened to Tyre. And then they read exactly what the prophecy said would happen. It is absolutely staggering. This isn't, oh, I could see how you could think that. I'm not, you don't, there's no thinking how you possibly could put those two things together. They fit perfectly together. The Old Testament prophecies are so staggering in number and in accuracy. It is absolutely, positively amazing. They are staggering in the, uh, in the amount, the number of prophecies, and then the accuracy of each of those prophecies. You, I want to drill that into our hearts and minds this morning. This isn't luck. This isn't, oh, look, it's, it sounds like this word, or it sounds like that word. These are very, very, very specific Again, I, I don't I don't want to I can't take too much time to address all these things. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend the next few minutes focused on the prophecies that are about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, because as most of you would understand, the Old Testament is is really focused on the coming of the Messiah. So it's no surprise to any one of us that there are more prophecies about the Messiah than any other idea or any other subject. Any other subject. And again, you thought the you thought the Zechariah um, passages were specific. Wait till we wait till you hear these again. Get your pens out because this is fun stuff to write down so you can use in talking to other people. And again, as we, before we move on, I want to be absolutely clear. You'll tell people this and they'll say, well, Jesus, Jesus knew about these prophecies because he was a rabbi. And so he just fulfilled them because he knew about them. There is absolutely, positively, no way, no chance, no how that Jesus could have chosen to fulfill them. I'm talking some. Sure, there are some, some, obviously. But there's no way on this earth Jesus could have chosen to fulfill them or by luck fulfilled them. Okay, that is just the most ridiculous argument you can possibly imagine. And I'll explain to you why and you'll see why in the next few minutes. 
So no way that Jesus chose or by pure luck fulfilled these prophecies. And there, there are actually mathematicians who kind of set this out and, and has, have proven this. Let me, let me share. Peter W. Stoner and Robert C. Newman actually did the math on this. They wanted to check out the probability of one man fulfilling eight of 60 of the main prophecies. Now, there are over 200 concerning Jesus Christ and the Messiah. Okay, so there's way more than 60. But all they said was, we're going to look at Jesus fulfilling just eight of 60 of these main prophecies about the Messiah. What is the probability that one person could fulfill eight of them by sheer luck, for example, or choosing to do it and, you know, reading about it a little bit and, and choosing to do some of them? What are the probability? And they said, let us give you an example, because most people you give numbers if you know, no, the number and the zeros go on forever and all that kind of thing. And you like get lost in space. So they they put it in, in real terms. They said, let's imagine that we were in the state of Texas and let's fill up the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. The entire state is now two feet deep, thick with silver dollars. I get in a plane and I paint one of the silver dollars red. And somewhere as I'm flying over Texas, I flip it out the window and it lands somewhere in Texas among all the other silver dollars. This one's red, though. There's one red one, all the other silver dollars, two feet deep, state of Texas. I blindfold one of you and you get one chance to walk in the state of Texas, blindfolded, walking around as long as you'd like to and picking up the red one. That is, the, that, that is the mathematical possibility of Jesus Christ fulfilling just eight of the 60 main prophecies, not all of them, which he fulfilled. Can you imagine the number of what that would look like? Just eight. Because I think they didn't even try to go beyond that because it got too ridiculous to even talk about. So here, here's the thing. Many of these prophecies would be absolutely impossible for Jesus Christ to try to fulfill. For example, his lineage, his lineage being descended of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, being in the line of David of the tribe of Judah. Okay, these are all specifics. These are all very specific. The Messiah would come from the lineage of the line of David from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus fulfilled all those things. So let's start with his birth. Where he was born, he was born in Bethlehem, two different Bethlehems. We're not there's two different ones, but we're talking about a specific Bethlehem. So the Bible doesn't just say, well, Bethlehem, we'll get, you know, one out of two. All right. And here's the thing. What is Jesus supposed to do inside of his mother's womb? Knock on her tummy and say, hey, mom, mom, can you hear me? Go to Bethlehem. I want to be the Messiah. Get, you know, get on the donkey, go to Bethlehem. I need to be the Messiah. You know, I've been laying, I've been here there for nine months. I just, you know, it's something I really want to do. Please get, I don't know how I can. Hello. Hello. I love the music, but I want to be the Messiah. You know what I'm saying? It's not happening. Babies don't get to decide where they're born, but it's very specific. The Bible is very specific where the Messiah is going to be born in Micah 5 two. But you Bethlehem Epaphrathah, specifically, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how significant that passage is. OK, it also talks about the Messiah will enter into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Right. Zechariah nine, nine says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. 
Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. That's what happened. And it's recorded in Matthew chapter 21, verses 4 through 11. That's why, that's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Palm Sunday, right? That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. Now you say, well, Jesus could have read that one and he could have jumped on. Well, yeah, okay. He could have. Didn't, but he could have. He knew about it. We'll keep going, okay? His crucifixion with criminals. It doesn't just say how the Messiah is going to be, how he's going to be killed specifically. It talks about him being crucified with criminals, okay? In Isaiah 53, 12, Therefore I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he, pour, he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Listen, this is Jesus. I could just imagine Jesus saying, listen, if you're going to, um, if you're going to crucify me, would you please crucify me with two criminals, with transgressors? Let's get specific, more than one. Let, can, we, can, I, can I be crucified with a, with a couple of, of, of criminals because I'd like to be the Messiah on my way out of here. And I, I can't be because there's very specific prophecies about how the Messiah is going to die. So I'd like you to be able to crucify me with a couple of people. Obviously, that's not what happened. Jesus obviously fulfilled that prophecy prophecy because the two criminals were beside him and he was assigned a grave with transgressors. Very, very specific. Isaiah 53. I want to point something else out here, too, as we go along through this and how amazing the Old Testament and New Testament come together and how amazing it is that the Old Testament is leading up to all of it talks about the coming of Jesus Christ. I could share and I will share the gospel with you this morning, not using the New Testament. I will share the clearly, absolutely clearly share the gospel with you without using the old, without using the New Testament. Just let's just follow along and you watch and see how this works out. It's really, really cool. Really, really cool. Okay, now. Now, so we're talking about how the Messiah was going to die. The piercing of his hands and his feet through crucifixion. Um, I got to tell you something. When I read this, the first time I read this as a baby Christian, it transformed my faith. And, I, and you cannot miss this. If, you're, if you just fell asleep for any reason, which is shocking if you did, I want you to wake back up, all right? Because this one, it, this one is absolutely staggering, makes the hair in your neck stand up, okay? If you have hair in your neck, I do. And it made the hair on my neck stand up. This is incredible. This is not just, okay, we're talking about a prophecy. How is the Messiah going to be killed? Oh, um, he's going to live and then they're going to kill him and it's going to hurt and he's not going to like it and then he'll be dead. That would be a generalization. This is not generalized at all. Psalm 22, 16. Listen to this. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have pierced my hands and and my feet. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read from verse 1. I want you to listen to this, okay? Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen to this. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our trans... I get goosebumps. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I just preached the gospel from the Old Testament. Has anybody misunderstood any of that? If, that, if I just read from Matthew, would you, would you think, well, that's, that's, that I could read that from New Testament. You wouldn't question me at all. Prophecy about the Messiah. I'm going to read more later on about that. But they have pierced, uh, pierced for our transgressions. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 22 was written 1,000 years before Jesus Christ was even born. A thousand years. Our country is nowhere near that old. A thousand years before Jesus Christ was born, that prophecy was given. And here's something that will now blow your mind completely. Completely. That was written 800 years before crucifixion was even invented. So not only, not only is it so specific, it's specific. It's specific beyond specific because you could, I could say, well, how is someone going to die uh, 800 years from now or 500 years or 100 years from now? And you'd have to come up with a specific way that you were going to kill someone that has never been invented before. Some technology that we have in the, past, in the future. The Romans didn't start using that form of, 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 of death, if you will, punishment, 800 years until after this was this was in place until this happened if that doesn't make you scratch your head okay and make you think holy mackerel i don't know what will see people say oh you christians you base everything on faith you're absolutely right i have i have faith i certainly do but it's built on a foundation of this the reliability of the word of god why do i believe the word of god because it's true People watch these ridiculous TV shows and believe stuff about aliens or whatever else, and they just live by it. Like, oh, we, what, aliens came, they, and, they, and, they, and they seeded the earth, and that's how we got here. Okay, someone will, won a Nobel, a Nobel Prize, a Nobel Prize in science because of their theory that we were seeded by aliens. No one's laughing at that. This, my friends, is outright basic in-your-face truth. He was pierced. I mean, that is incredible. Okay, I'll give you more. The soldiers gambling for his clothes. You know that happened, right? He's hanging on the cross, and the soldiers there, the Roman soldiers, were gambling for his clothes. Psalm 22, 18,000 years before, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments fulfilled in Matthew chapter 27 verses 35 through 37. The fact that this is another one, okay? Oh my goodness, this is so cool. The fact that Messiah's bones would not be broken. None of his bones would be broken. So he would die, but none of his bones would be broken at his death. Psalm 34 and verse 20 says this, he protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Do you remember what they did to people in Roman times when they crucified them most of the time in order to bring about a quicker death? Remember? 
they broke their legs. They broke their legs. So basically, Jesus, they, 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 they break the legs of the people who are being crucified so they'll die quicker. They did not break Jesus' legs. Why did they not break Jesus' legs? Because Jesus Christ is God, and he chose when he was going to give up his spirit, when he was going to give up his life. And on the cross, he said, it is finished, and he died. And when the Roman soldiers came around, they break the legs of the two people next to Jesus. Okay, they'll die quicker. They come to Jesus and they see "Mm, he's already dead. He's already dead. So they then fulfill another prophecy by taking a spear and sticking it in Jesus side to make sure he's dead. They want to make sure they're the Romans are, are, are experts at killing people and to make sure they're dead. They stick the spear up underneath the rib. And the Bible says that blood and water flowed out in John chapter 19 and verse 34. It says one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. They pierced him, pierced him. Go back to Isaiah. Go back to, you know, go read through that. They pierced him with a spear. His bones were not broken. None of his bones were broken. The Bible says his bones were out of joint. Okay? How would your bones get out of joint? Hmm, let me think. Uh, if I'm hanging on a cross, maybe my, maybe my bones would be out of joint, but not broken. When most people's bones were broken by having their legs broken. So the Romans didn't do it to Jesus, but they did it to others. And they didn't do it to Jesus because he had already died. Okay. So now we know he was... He was assigned the grave with the wicked, okay? But in the rich, it says, the Bible says, in the rich in his death. So not only is it specific on who, who would die with him, the wicked, all right? But it, then it says Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb. In Isaiah 53, 9, it says, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, but with the rich in his death. Though he had no, and that goes on, listen to this. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Again, that's Old Testament prophecy. Specifically talking about the Messiah. Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. Okay, now, I'm gonna do a little, I'll give you a little more here. Um, in, write this down. In, in, in Psalm chapter 16 and verse 10, we're talking about David wrote Psalm 16. Okay, so David is writing this. And this is what David writes. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Right? So that's what, that's what he wrote. David obviously was a prophet. David could not have been writing about himself. In Acts chapter 2, verses 29 and 30, they picked up on this. They, the disciples picked up on this. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne, which is exactly right. One of David's descendants would become the Messiah. David wasn't talking of himself, obviously. David was a man. David knew that he would be dead at some point and his body would see decay. Everyone does. Whose body was put into a grave was not a, was not abandoned to the grave and whose body did not see decay. We celebrated on Easter the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was all prophecy and it was all specific. 
There's no misunderstandings here. I'm not pulling things out of context and out of the air to confuse people and say, well, this is what it really means. If you don't think that's what it really means, you're just not paying attention, right? This is real specific. Jesus also predicted his own death. In John chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, he says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it, I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Listen. Even the hardcore critic is moved by prophecy. Because when they honestly, before God, sit down and look at what I just described to you, go back in history and look at the historicity, look at the history of what had taken place, and then go and look at the prophecy that was take, had taken place before that, it is absolutely staggering. And even the most hardened critic, much of the time, is at least moved by prophecy. See, it lends such an incredible weight to the Bible's reliability. Prophecy lends incredible weight to the reliability of the word of God. So why is that so important to us? Why, why, why is this so important? Because it shows us that the Bible is true. It is true. It is completely true. Everything in here is true. It isn't written by a bunch of people that have some nice stories to tell. Some good analogies, some good illustrations, and, you know, it's kind of nice to live by. But that's, that's about it. But it's not, it's, it's not the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It is completely true. How on earth do you explain what I just described to you this morning, which is only the tip of the iceberg? So why is it important? Because when you understand the truth of God's Word, and all that we've been teaching this whole series... When you understand the truth of God's word, it will change the way you live your life. It will change how bold you are when, it, when, it, when we talk about going out and sharing your faith. When you talk about going out and sharing your faith, sometimes you're like, I get a little nervous. I don't know what to say. A great opportunity is when you start to share your faith and people say, oh, I don't, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe the Bible is true. Well, you say, well, let me, can we just sit, let me show you something and just show them what I just showed you. I'll send you the sermon if you want it. Call the church office and we'll make sure we send you a copy of the sermon. And then you can build on that. But just show them, that, show them, show them what I showed you. This is so staggering. This is such, so staggering that, that people in, in, this, in our day okay, have tried every way possible to change Isaiah 53. Change, the word, change anything that could find anything that would somehow change the wording of Isaiah 53, but you can't, because when you go back originally, you can't get around that and what exactly what it says. Why are they trying to change it? <laughs> because exactly what it says. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus really did live. Jesus really did die. Jesus really did raise from the dead. And it was all prophesied before it actually happened. Why is that important? Because it gives us hope for the future. Everything the Bible says about the future, about heaven, about the end times, about things that are going to happen next, all of it's true. It's all come true so far. What, what would stop us from thinking that what is prophesied now is going to come true? 
still is still has to has to be fulfilled. But it will be fulfilled. We can have confidence in the fact that in the end, as as stressful as it is right now in our country, sometimes and the culture changing, all these things happening in the end, my friends, God is victorious. God wins. You win. There's nothing to fear. Nothing's going to happen that is not in God's ultimate plan. No one can thwart the will of God. No one can thwart the plan of God. Nothing is going to come or happen or be or be invented or or they're not going to find anything that goes against the word of God and ultimately tells us, well, I guess we were wrong. It's not going to happen because it's not there. This is truth. If you seek after God, you're going to find truth. And the word of God is truth. In this series, this, this series is called Stand. It's called Stand. And that's what we need to do. We need to stand for God's word. We need to stand on God's word. We need to stand for God's word. We need to live out God's word because it's completely true. It's completely true. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to read you Isaiah 53 up until um, up into verse. Uh, I'm going to read all the way through. I want you to, and I want you to I want you to. This is this is Isaiah. This is OK. Prophecy about the Messiah. Isaiah 53, Old Testament. I'm going to I'm now going to preach the gospel to you from the Old Testament. And here's what I want you to do. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the gospel, basically, the, the truth of the word of God says that that man is separated from God because of sin, because of our transgressions, because of our sins, because of our iniquities. I don't know what word you want to use. We are separated from God. A holy God cannot be in the presence of a sinful person. God says, I don't like that at all. I want to. My plan is I'm going to come down in the I'm going to Jesus Christ. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus comes down to earth, okay, and he dies on a cross, takes all the sin of the world upon himself, takes your sin, my sin upon himself on the cross. He is crucified. His blood then covers us from all of our sin. And if you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, you are now covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are saved. And when you make mistakes, when you mess up, you ask for forgiveness in Jesus name. Why? Because when the father sees you, he no longer sees you. He sees his son standing right in front of you. But it is Jesus Christ who came to earth, suffered, died for our sins on a cross so that we could have a relationship with God, the father. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And like a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. 
He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, he was, yet, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And, th- and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And, and, and the will of the Lord will prosper in the land. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will, be just, will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sins of many and made, and made intercession for the transgressors. If... Please, if you are even questioning anything about your faith or you're you're questioning whether you should know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, please go back and study Psalm, I mean, Isaiah 53 and try to understand just what it means. That last part, he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That is the gospel. I just read you the gospel from the Old Testament. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the truth of your word, the absolute, undeniable truth of your word. Thank you, Lord God, for each person here. And I pray that as we leave this place, that we would struggle in our hearts if we don't know you. That we would ask before this day is done to be your child, to be adopted into your family to become one of your own. I pray that each person here would ask Jesus Christ into their own hearts and then they would try to live to the best of their ability according to your word. I pray that each one of us who is older in our faith would be renewed in our faith, renewed in our strength, that we would have that wonder, we'd recapture that wonder and that fascination with who you are because it is all true. And may we live with boldness knowing that it is all true. God, use us, I pray. Use us to reach this world with the gospel of your son. Amen. Have a great week.